This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As the people were all filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, The beloved, with you I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, who indeed wears the robe and the crown. Amen. It's the baptism of Jesus. Trust me, I'll get there eventually, but let's spend a little time first with our second reading, that little short reading from the Acts of the Apostles takes place very early in the life of the church. It takes place immediately after Stephen is stoned to death in the streets of Jerusalem. Up until that point, amazing things have been happening. They're recorded in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Church is growing by leaps and bounds. They're gathering in one another's homes. They are breaking Eucharistic bread. They are holding all things in common and sharing with one another. And God keeps adding to their number every day. And all of that growth and all that excitement, however, is confined to one city, Jerusalem. It is the city where Jesus was crucified, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. It's the same city where the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, descended upon the disciples. But still, it's just one city. It's Jerusalem. And all of those believers are a relatively homogenous system. I mean, they're in conflict with Jewish authorities and with Roman authorities, but as the Smithsonian Magazine says this month, they are all living a common Judaic experience. They, they hold something in common as a culture. But suddenly, a leader of this new church is stoned to death. Persecution. And many of our first sisters and brothers in the faith flee from Jerusalem. They become refugees. They take not to the mattresses, but they take to the hillsides around Jerusalem and into the wilderness and to little caves, and they form communities away from the city. In the midst of that movement, the message of life and new hope in Christ Jesus, you would think would struggle, would would shrink, but instead it keeps spreading, and it spreads so fast and so far, it even spreads to Samaria. Now, no self-respecting Jew is going to go to Samaria. 
they, they fled to the, the wilderness, but they didn't go to Samaria. Ethnically, Jews considered Samaritans to be uh, mongrels or mutts or, you know, like us but not like us at all, which is really kind of odd because uh, Samaritans are descended from the 12 tribes of, of Israel, in fact, from Ephraim and Manasseh and Levi. They're part of the family of Israel, but, but to Jewish culture, they're like a, a different species. They're like a lower rung. And feeling, the feeling was pretty mutual with each other. Samaritans despised Jewish counterparts every bit as much as they were despised. And a lot of that was theological and probably not a great surprise if you study any religion anywhere. A lot of it was, quote, biblical. Samaritans recognized only the Torah, the law, and Judeans, Jews, recognized uh, law and the prophets. Jews held that the center of the world's worship should be in Jerusalem on a mountain known as Moriah or Zion, which is where the temple was eventually built. But for Samaritans, their spiritual cousins, they thought that the holiest place on earth was in Gerizim, where Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, where Moses, when they walked into the promised land for the first time, gathered all of Israel and said, this is our land, this is our place. Jews celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Samaritans celebrate Passover on Mount Gerizim. And Samaritans still think that the temple should have been built on Mount Gerizim. And to give you just a little scope of how real this tension is, Gerizim is in the west bank of Israel. It is near a Palestinian town that used to be called Shechem and now is called Nablus. And since 1947 is the largest refugee camp in the Middle East. They don't get along much better now than they did during the time of Jesus. So we know that Jews and Samaritans were related by blood. They're related by faith. They're related by culture. They're related by tradition. They call upon the same name of the same God with the same rituals. But they have a repulsion for each other that has been insurmountable. Until one day, one day, one of these apostles, a little known apostle named Philip, leaves Jerusalem, we don't know why, and he walks into a Samaritan village. Now seriously, Samaritans and Jews, that'd be like a Jew walked into a Samaritan bar. That's like the setup for a joke, not a Bible passage. And Philip walks into a Samaritan village and he tells anybody who is willing to listen to him in that little village that God, our God, the God that we all share, has revealed through the religious and politically motivated crucifixion and the resurrection from the dead of not a Judean and not a Samaritan, but a Galilean. And that Galilean's name was Jesus. And through Jesus, we are confident That each and every one of us is unconditionally and eternally loved by God. And those Samaritans, even hearing that from a Jew, they believe it. They believe it. Uh, Next time we meet Philip, the guy gets around, let me tell you. He will not be on the northern part of Israel. He will be going the exact opposite direction on the other end. He will be heading south, not north. He'll be on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And once again, he will be proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and he will be baptizing, this time, an Ethiopian and a eunuch. Evidently, when 
Philip heard Jesus said that you are to go and tell and make disciples and baptize. Philip was just smart enough to take that literally. In our second reading today, this is how I picture the reading going down. I picture uh, Philip walking into the apostolic room, wherever that is, at the headquarters back in Jerusalem, some big corporate office back in the holy city. And the apostles are all sitting around first century boardroom doing whatever apostles do, apostly kind of things. And in comes Philip. He's sweaty. He's out of breath. Um, he's covered in, in road dust, and he, he hasn't shaved for a few days. And everyone is just so glad to see him because they thought that they lost him because they heard that he's been out in the wilderness and he's been to Samaria. And, and they're just so glad to see him until he blurts out, Hey, the Samaritans, they believe. And I welcomed them. And I baptized them. Ten miles wide open. Silence. I'm guessing that the very first person to speak was Thomas, and you can probably guess what he said. I doubt it. But it was true. And from that point on, the gospel spreads like wildfire from the Samaritans to an Ethiopian eunuch to Gentiles throughout the Middle East and on and on and on and on until eventually us. And the message was so simple. No one is off limits. No one is unreachable. Everyone is included in the good news and the gracious message of Jesus, which, by the way, is what makes it the good news, that it's for everyone. And now, just, just to state the obvious, I know you're sitting in a church, but just to state the obvious, nothing's changed. Nothing. Nothing has changed. No one is outside the love of God in Christ Jesus. No one. No one is outside the grace, love, forgiveness, mercy of God through Christ Jesus. Told you I'd get back here. Some of your word, whether we would, today we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. It's very familiar to most of us, although there are, in fact, multiple counts in the four different Gospels. This is the day in which Jesus was baptized. The heavens are opened, metaphysically. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Not sure what that is either. And a voice. Not sure who all heard that, but at least someone heard it enough to write it down. A voice from heaven says, you, Jesus, are my son, the beloved, and I'm well pleased with you. Story about a seminary professor visiting a high school youth group. Professors are prone to do the subject for the day with baptism, and you know the professor finished her time with them by talking about the significance of Christ's baptism as an eternal revelation of God's presence among us. Which, by the way, I just want to say that is exactly what I believe. It just sounds a little too academic. And one of the high school students says, "Well, that's not the only thing it means." And any good teacher knows that every question is valuable. So the teacher asked, well, well, what do you think it means? And the student said, well, the story says that the heavens opened up, right? Right. And the story says that the Spirit of God came down from heaven. He said, yes, that's right. He said, well, it means God's loose in this world. And it's dangerous. He's absolutely right. At the baptism of Jesus, God's intentions for his son are made crystal clear Old gospel song might have a better theology than we ourselves do at times. At the baptism of Jesus, he is anointed the king to carry the robe and the crown, the star crown. But he's anointed in a way that no king before or no king after is anointed. 
It's not pomp. It's not circumstances. It's not fancy robes. It's not high ritual. It's not fragrant oil poured all over his head. It's not one guy lifted up better than everybody else and more important than everyone else. Jesus is anointed king by stripping down and going down into the water with hundreds, if not thousands, of other people. And it's some underqualified hermit named John who is calling all of them to die to self so that you can live so that you can live Luke says it like this now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying at that moment Jesus is anointed king you are my son you are the heir you are the crown prince with you I'm well pleased If you want to know where the extravagant impartiality of Jesus begins, the extravagant, radical, inclusive, relentless compassion begins for Jesus, I want to suggest that it begins when they went down to the river to pray together. Same Holy Spirit which descended upon Jesus in baptism is the same Holy Spirit that will descend upon all of them in Pentecost. It's the same Holy Spirit that will prompt Peter and John to put on their big boy pants and follow Phil back up to Samaria and make sure that they have been baptized with the Holy Spirit as well. It's the same Holy Spirit that calls an Ethiopian unit to get out of your golden chariot and get down here in the water with the rest of us. It is the same Holy Spirit in whose name we gather every time we gather and in whose name we have and still baptize the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Bishop Desmond Tutu likes to tell this story. Uh, South Africa, the episcopate, the bishops come and, and do confirmation in congregations. And before it can happen, there have to be some quizzes, and the quizzes are standardized. And one of the questions that he asked, uh, ritualistic, was, uh, what did the voice from heaven say to Jesus when he was baptized? And most of the students got that right. That's the kind of thing you can memorize. But one student got it wrong, and Bishop Tutu likes to tell us how right he was in his wrongness. One student said, God said, you're my son. Now go act like it. No one can predict, no one can control, no one can contain, no one can limit who God will love, who God will welcome, because in baptism, the Spirit of God is loose, and it's dangerous. And whether we're sprinkled or whether we're dunked, whether we're infants or adults, whether it was in a river or in a baptistry, whether it was Pentecostal or Roman Catholic or Lutheran, we share the same bathwater with Jesus, the same baptism. The scripture claims that all the baptized, whoever we are, whatever our backgrounds or ethnicities or nationalities or genders or orientation or theological flavors, all the baptized, all the baptized are filled with the Spirit of God and are a royal priesthood, joint heirs of God. The Spirit of God that worked in and through Jesus the Spirit of God that worked in the early church, the Spirit of God that worked in Mary and Philip and Peter and John. The Spirit of God is loose and dangerous, and it's working in and it's working through you and everyone else who's washed in the water. I believe that if you listen You can feel the heavens open from time to time. And you can hear the voice. You're my children. 
my beloved, all of you, you're my children. Now get out of the water and act like it. Amen.